Good morning, Generations Church. Name that tune. My name is Rick Cook. I'm glad to be back here with you. This morning we start a new series titled Authority from the Gospel of Mark. Name that tune. I played a variation of that game several weeks ago, Name That Movie. This time it's Name That Tune, but I'm doing it a little different than the game show because I don't want you to name the tune that I play, but I will name a song, and at your home, in your living room, I want you to hum or to play out the opening notes of the tune. Are you ready? At home, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. How many of you can identify or can you play out or hum out the opening notes? Probably a lot of you can. Congratulations. Let's try another one. Beethoven's Fourth Symphony. Fourth Symphony. Okay, that one is harder. I heard a music expert make an interesting comment about Beethoven's symphonies. He made the point that Beethoven's symphonies are so famous and they are so outstanding that the least of the symphonies, maybe the fourth symphony, often gets overlooked. It has become the forgotten symphony because if a concert hall is going to put on one of Beethoven's symphony, they're going to play the third, the fifth, the seventh, the ninth, and rarely will they play the fourth. But he made the point that if any other composer had written the fourth symphony, that piece of music would be that composer's best piece of music. It would be representative of that composer's best music. And as that, it would be played in the concert hall all the time. I feel like The Gospel of Mark is like Beethoven's Fourth Symphony. It has been forgotten. It is part of the collection of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And because each of the Gospels are so important and each of the Gospels are so powerful, the Gospel of Mark ends up being overlooked or the forgotten Gospel. But let me suggest that it is tremendously powerful and we should not overlook it. It is a book that is designed to bring action. So We have already looked at the prologue in the first uh, series we did. We looked at the prologue. Now we start on the second series, and we will be focused on authority. And what Mark does in his gospel after the brief prologue is he starts to show action, action, action. Immediately this happened. Immediately this happened. Then immediately this happened. And this makes the gospel of Mark ideal for seekers, or for new Christians. If you have a friend who's interested in learning about Christianity, I recommend you send them to the Gospel of Mark because it is the most accessible. It is the easiest to read. It is the easiest to follow. And so I want to strongly suggest that you send all new Christians to the Gospel of Mark. What about us, though, for those of us in our church, in Generations Church, who have been Christians for a long time? Let me suggest just the gospel of Mark is equally of value to us as well. I pray that we would be able to master the gospel of Mark, and then we could become teachers. We could have Mark as part of our 
makeup, part of our heart, part of our soul, and we would exude that. And we would then be able to take that message, to take the power of the Gospel of Mark and to share that with seekers, with non-Christians, with new Christians. So let us turn now and begin to look at our message this morning. We are going to see that after the prologue, Mark has Jesus hitting the stage running. Last time we said Jesus entered stage, right? And he is now on the stage and he just starts going. The first thing he does is he announces his authority. The next thing he does is he begins to call his disciples. He calls for people to vow their allegiance to follow and obey him. And then he starts his ministry. And there's a series of amazing stories, of amazing miracles. This morning, we look at the first one and we see his authority to command evil spirits. Let us do the reading from the Gospel of Mark. We will be looking at Mark 1, verse 14 through 28. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. And he even gives orders to impure spirits and and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Let us pray together. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and teach us from your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The arrest of John served as a trigger for the ministry of Jesus. It says, after John was put in prison. Actually, I like what the original language says a little bit better. It says that John was handed over. And the meaning of it is he was handed over to be put into prison. But the original language, this idea of being handed over, means that John was given over to 
what would eventually lead to his death. And there is a profound foreshadowing about what will happen with Jesus. So the moment John is handed over and begins to move toward his death, Jesus steps onto the stage and he begins his ministry. And later in this gospel, we will see the exact same phrase when it says that Jesus was handed over to the authorities and he began to walk toward his death. So we will see that Mark is written in a very compact and powerful way and it's worth paying attention to details. After John was handed over or put into prison, Jesus began his ministry. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. When this says that the kingdom of God has come near, how do you picture that? Do you picture it as it means that the kingdom of God is physically close to us, that it had been far off and now it is near us and we can maybe see it or reach out and touch it? Or do you think it means that in chronology, The time has come. We're only an hour away. We're only 10 minutes away. We're only a minute away. 10, 9, 8. That chronologically, the kingdom is near. Which one is it? Actually, it's both. 10, 9, 8. The kingdom is near. We are at the final countdown and the moment has arrived. But Chronologically, it is near, and also physically, it is near. It is right among us. And so Jesus announces the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, and what should we do about it if that's the case? We should repent and believe the good news. We should change our mind. We should change our direction. We should change our allegiance and we should be willing to go a different direction. And we should believe the gospel of Christ. There is a new king calling for a new allegiance. And that's what we're called on to follow. Repent and believe the good news. Again, I want to suggest that this book is wonderful for seekers and it is wonderful for Christians. And I think it is worth learning the book and reading the book and mastering the book because there is so much beauty and there is so much power in it. The first week I played a video of Mark's gospel. Uh, It's a presentation, a video presentation of Mark's gospel, a one-man show put on by Max McClellan. It is on YouTube. It is made by the Fellowship for Performing Arts, and it is beautiful. I played the first chapter, and I hope that you were hooked. But even if not, let me suggest you go on to YouTube and seek out these videos, because there is power. The first chapter really just gets our feet wet. And as I continue to 
watch the video after video. I kept thinking, well, this one's only five minutes, uh, chapter three, four, five, whatever. It's only seven minutes, four minutes, eight minutes. And I just kept clicking one after the other. <laughs> it was like eating popcorn. You're like, okay, I'll have one more piece of popcorn. You pop it. I'll have one more piece. That's what these videos are like. It is brilliant. And I so much appreciate what Max McLean has done in this one-man show. But more than that, what I think I experienced was the power of Mark. I experienced it in a way I never had before. I found these reviews on their website from the Chicago Sun-Times, and I find these descriptions accurate. This is how I felt as I, uh, I viewed it or I participated in the hearing of the gospel. Mark was written to be read out loud. It was written to be heard orally. And this presentation is the best I have seen. One review, a profoundly mysterious odyssey. Another one, a wonderful performance that strikes at the heart. I challenge you to watch through and see if you can watch without feeling the pathos, without feeling the tears as these events begin to unfold. So let me strongly suggest that you get onto YouTube and take a look at these. So the kingdom of God has been announced, and now Jesus is going to begin his ministry. Recall we said Jesus came from Nazareth. We said that he came from Nowheresville. He came from... I, just thought of this more recently. We were driving from Chicago to Los Angeles when we were moving here almost 10 years ago, and we passed this sign on the road in Colorado, and I said, well, now there's the best-named city in the country. It's called No Name, and I looked it up after I got home. Sure enough, it's not just a place that has no name. It is actually a place that is named No Name, and it only has several hundred people, apparently, who live there. No Name, Colorado. So if you're from No Name, Colorado, that's who Jesus is, right? He's from No Name, uh, Israel. He's from Nazareth, and now he has announced that he is the king, and he has announced that people should follow him. He has announced that he should be believed and obeyed, and the question I have when this person from no name arrives, how in the world should he demonstrate his authority? How should he prove that he is who he says he is? How should Nobody from no name demonstrate that they are the Son of God and that they are worthy of worship and they are worthy of belief. My first thought, how about signs and wonders? What if Jesus were to light up the sky with lightning bolts? Boom, boom, boom. What if Jesus were to cause a double-barreled hurricane to roar through the land, bringing floods and destruction? What if the thunderbolts ignited dozens and dozens of fires and he was able to burn in huge forest fires? hundreds and hundreds of acres of land, would that demonstrate his power 
and his authority. Let me suggest that we see those violent acts of nature and we are not impressed. I mean, we might be a little bit afraid of nature, but certainly it doesn't drive us to repentance. It doesn't drive us to change who we are. So in 2020, we've seen double-barreled hurricanes. We've seen lightning storms. We've seen forest fires. We've seen apocalyptic orange skies in the evening. We've seen an epidemic that has spread around the world that has caused thousands and thousands of deaths. We've seen all those things, but none of those seem to drive us to repentance. None of those seem to drive us to change. So if you were Jesus launching your ministry, having announced that the kingdom is near and the time to repent and believe is at hand, how would you start your ministry? The nobody from no name. How would you start? Well, this is how Jesus is going to do it. He is going to piece by piece, quietly, gently, demonstrate his absolute authority. That is the title of this series, and we are going to see story after story showing us that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. First, he's going to assemble the first pieces of his team. He's not going to build an army. He's not going to seek out military training, but he's going to seek out men. And let us see what he wants them to do. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. Simon, he will later rename Peter. So Simon is the first one. As Jesus walked, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Did Jesus go to the seminaries? Did Jesus go to the universities? Did Jesus go to the center of religious or political power? No, he went and he found people who were fishermen. What was the key? How were these people chosen? How were these people identified? Let me suggest as we go forward that we will see the answer, how they were identified. Jesus says to them, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. He doesn't send them out to take military training. He doesn't send them out to find weapons. He doesn't send them out to find guns and bombs or whatever else they might use for an insurrection. No, he says he will send them out and make them fisher of men. And what qualifies them at once? They left their nets and followed him. Simple people willing to follow. We go on. Second, when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, immediately, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. 
Same thing. These were fishermen. These were simple people. It seems that Zebedee may have been a fairly successful fisherman because he did have these hired men. But the sons, they left. They left their father. They left the family business. They left the fish. And they obeyed the call of God. And they followed Jesus. And they, at that moment, take on a new allegiance. And the challenge for us this morning is, will we follow? Will we hear the call, come and follow me? And will we be willing to transfer our allegiance? There are a lot of political struggles going on. There's a lot of political strife and there are movements that are dragging us one direction and there are movements that are dragging us another direction and each is trying to command our allegiance, trying to make us believers and followers. But let me suggest that Jesus is asking for our ultimate allegiance. We see that Jesus begins to assert that authority and begins to assert that power. They go on to he and his followers. They go on to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue. So this is a meeting of the Sabbath, a meeting of the synagogue. So this is an area where the Jewish people come together for a reading of the Torah, for a reading of the Jewish or Hebrew Old Testament what we call the Old Testament, they're reading the Torah and they worship together. They worship God together in the meeting place called the synagogue. And so these men following Jesus go into the synagogue and Jesus begins to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. What they were used to when a teacher stood up, they would say, according to rabbi so-and-so, such and such, according to rabbi this one, then such and such. And they would lay out their case in that way. But Jesus had none of that. Jesus stood up and said, this is the truth. This is how this is to be understood. And when he spoke with that kind of authority, the people were amazed because they had to wonder, who is this? Who is this nobody from no name? And he's teaching with his own authority so in the midst of their service, we can imagine this happening uh, at Generations Church. Maybe we're in the middle of a church service and someone is speaking or teaching to us and we're listening. And then all of a sudden, just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out. So we can imagine in the middle of the service, somebody is sitting there and all of a sudden they just scream out and it would be startling and arresting. And all of a sudden they hear this man screaming, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? It appears that now it's not just the man speaking, but the spirit the impure spirit speaking through the man. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. This is so fascinating to me. As you read through Mark chapter 1, something I said previously is that nobody knows who he is. Mark tells us 
through the beginning, like at his baptism, he tells us that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the promised one. Mark tells us that, but the disciples, the people who are watching him, they don't see it. When uh, there's a, a, a voice coming from heaven at his baptism, they don't experience or witness that. But we do as the uh, readers or the listeners of the gospel. So at this moment, his disciples aren't completely clear about who is Jesus and of Jesus's authority. And the onlookers are unclear about Jesus. Who is this guy from no name? This nobody from no name. Who is he? But the demons, the people don't know. The people are confused. But the demons know exactly who he is. Have you come to destroy us? They say, I know who you are. The Holy one of God. They know. Unlike the disciples at this point, they have experienced the power and authority of Jesus. The disciples just now are beginning to experience. The onlookers are just beginning to experience. But the demons have experienced the power and the authority of Jesus. And they know that he can destroy them. I think of... Uh, uh, a small child. I think of a small child playing with a knife, and uh, you, you see them playing with a knife. This might not be too dangerous because it's just a butter knife. You might let them hold on to it. But if you see a, a baby or a toddler, a young child, take the small the knife, and if they start playing with a electric socket, if they start thinking, hmm, I would wonder what would happen if I were to put this in the electric socket. Mom and Dad, what are you thinking as you're thinking of Junior playing with the uh, metal uh, knife and beginning to poke it into a socket? What are you thinking? You're thinking danger, and you tell them. You tell them, don't do that. You'll, you'll regret it. Don't do it. And I'm going to suggest that most kids will take the knife and they'll put it aside. But let me suggest, for those who go ahead and try it, for those who actually experience the power of electricity, for those who stick the knife into the socket and get the electric shock, let me suggest that those people know the power. And they are not going to do it again. <laughs> They're afraid. They're not going to do it again. The demons have experienced Jesus and they know his power and they tremble. That's what's going to happen throughout the gospel of Mark. We're going to learn more and more. We're going to experience more and more. And it's going to become more and more clear to us that we should tremble at Jesus. Right here we see the demons, the impure spirit, crying out because the impure spirit recognizes the absolute authority of Jesus. What does Jesus do? Be quiet. Jesus said Jesus sternly, come out of him. There are records in the ancient world among the Jewish people of exorcisms. There are records that tell us that there were ways that people who were demon-possessed could get relief. But in the records, what we find is that those who had the, 
Those who had the power to relieve people of evil spirits, they had to use chants or spells or incantations. There was a process. There were certain things that they had to read. There was a process they had to go through. But we see again that Jesus is different. A moment ago when he spoke, he didn't say, as so-and-so said, thus such-and-such. No, he spoke on his own authority. Here, he's not quoting a spell or a chant or an incantation, but he is speaking on his own authority. And he says, from his own authority, be quiet, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. If I witnessed this, I would already be frightened. But if I saw Jesus speaking on his own authority, no incantation, no chant, nothing that I might have seen before, but on his own authority, says to the evil spirit, come out of him, and the spirit shrieked, I would be chilled to my core. And that's exactly what happened. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching. And with authority, if you watch the videos of Max McLean, when he reads this, the first time I listened through the uh, chapter 1 and he got to verse 27 I felt like he over dramatized it he screams out and he's very dramatic and I thought well it's, I guess it's good he's on stage he does it uh, probably overplays it a little bit but as I studied this verse and as I meditated on this verse I now think he was right I mean these people were shocked watch the video and tell me what you think does Max McLean, does he overplay it or does he hit it right? What is this? A new teaching. And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. I think they were chilled to their bone. Who is this guy? News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. No surprise about that. This Nobody from nowhere is teaching with authority and he is speaking to the evil spirits. He has hit the stage running. We finish our first message and we will go next time on to Mark chapter 1 verse 29 and we will see immediately, story after story, immediately, 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 Jesus continues to build his case, continues to show and those who are watching, the disciples, those who are around him are amazed and shocked because he is putting into place piece by piece all the areas of his vast authority and ultimately what he wants us to do is believe. Repent and believe the good news. Let us continue to go through the Gospel of Mark, and he will continue to make the case why we should believe that he is the Lord. And when that is clear, when the case is made, we can see there is no option. When the case is clear, when the case is made that he is the Lord, that he is Yahweh, come in flesh, to die for our sins. There's no response other than to repent and to believe and to pledge our allegiance to the new king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we 
want again this morning to declare that you are Lord. Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak to us through your word. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us find the videos on YouTube so that we could watch and listen and take in the beautiful, amazing truths that are related in the gospel of Mark. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.